Welcome everyone back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined after a week layoff. Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? I'm good. I think everyone, I mean, you had Brandon Huffman. I heard there was some weirdness about uh, his volume. Yeah, oh, he, was, on. He, was Brandon calling, he was calling from the other side of the moon. <laughs> Brandon, Brandon vacations there sometimes. Yeah, but it's fine. It's fine. You know what? You know what? If you got to work a little bit harder for it, isn't it all the sweeter? Right? I, I love If you got to constantly adjust your volume listening to this podcast, <laughs> isn't it all the better? There was a post that said, PSA, don't listen to the broadcast because, I, I mean, Brandon dropped some pretty sobering uh, factoids about UCLA football recruiting, did he? Yeah, yeah. We, we went – well, so I didn't know where we were going to go. So I asked him the question just kind of baldly up front, you know, no preparation. Hey, so how has the Big Ten move impacted UCLA football recruiting? And uh, the answer was uh, not. Not, it hasn't at all in any positive way. And uh, in fact, things are going horribly. Yeah, I, I, that's funny that he said that. I started to listen and then I got sidetracked. He told me, like in our little private, intimate conversations, that it had. Like uh, Malachi Crawford was going to commit to Cal and made him reconsider. And I think there were a couple others. Did he happen? To, he didn't mention that? Um. No, that, uh, I, I don't recall that, no. <laughs> I like it. When Brandon gets going one way, man, he can get going. I like it. It's yeah, good. It's very okay. cool. Okay, good job, Brandon. Love you. Want to hug you all the time. Yes. Uh, but we do have a lot to discuss today. Um, we wanted to get a little bit deeper into the move to the Big Ten, what some what some implications of that could be. Um, Want to, you know, go a little bit deeper into football recruiting and uh its current state and also discuss some exciting uh developments in the world of basketball recruiting the world i should say of basketball recruiting it is a world the whole world of basketball recruiting um but starting out with uh big 10 um uh so with ucla's and usc let's include those also rands in there oh by the way another side note yeah. Um, the POC thread uh, on our message board and on USC's message board uh, from last week generated, I think, something on, on the order of 250 replies and, huh. like, 17,000 views. And it was such a callback to, like, less siloed internet era where, like, fans of both teams would just be, like, shit-talking each other for extensive periods of time. It was really heartwarming. So what you're trying to say is this move to the Big Ten might generate some interest that's probably on the same level where it used to be when both teams were pretty good? Maybe, but it was just delightful to see a thread that was shared between the two and just getting an insight back into, um, you know, that USC fan who existed during like the middle of the Pete Carroll era who has now kind of gone dormant. Well, they're back. Yeah. And it's it's exciting to see. Yeah, they, you know what's it's interesting too. Um, they're back, but uh, the honeymoon is still going on with Lincoln Riley. But from what I've seen, they're and they're I mean they're recruiting incredibly, but they're still not completely happy. They're thinking that they're getting some recruits taken by NIL uh, by programs with bigger NIL offerings. Yeah, I, I, I've read that, so they're still not happy, Lincoln. <laughs> yes anyway absolutely 
Yes. Um, the realignment. I, I, I think where we've settled now, it's, it's, it's interesting. I've got good sources. I've got okay sources. Then I've got the internet. And I, I try to use it all to kind of get a sense. And literally, if I don't do my reading for a day, I fall behind. Uh, or my checking in because it's it's literally changing by the day. I think where we are right now, the the Big Ten and the SEC are kind of holding steady for the time being. Would you say that's right? Um, yeah, it certainly seems that way. It doesn't seem like anything is imminent. Even though I think there were some tweets that said the Big Ten could be extending some offers i haven't seen enough of that and i haven't heard it enough but it could be i mean things change really quickly in this environment but i think where we are is they're kind of holding pat uh, there's been a lot see i don't know that much about sec i get most of that from that internet thing and it's saying that they're gonna hold where they are uh, like they're kind of, I, I know everyone's saying this and it could literally, they are this until they're not. That's the saying of the day. But it sounds like they're going to hold at 16 for the foreseeable future. Yeah, that's my vibe. Okay. So, so that makes it very, I, I, I think I share the interest with all UCLA fans. You're interested in what's going to happen to the rest of the Pac-12. I, I mean, that's that's just highly interesting to me. Um, right now, there's the rest. Well, let's call it the Pac-10. There's the Big 12 and the ACC. Dave, tell me right now, what's going to happen? Um, nothing right now. Uh, but what are we talking? What's our time horizon? Uh the, well, okay, so Texas, Oklahoma happened a year ago. UCLA happened. UCLA, USC happened now. Let's say in the next year. In the next year. Um, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot more movement right now. Um, what I think is going to happen, the more I think about it, the more I'm kind of sitting with it a little bit. I still think the Big 12 is in kind of dire shape. Um, and I think there was a moment, maybe a small window here, where they could have secured a bunch of Pac-12 schools. And Because I think what it is right now is there's a battle now to be a third league uh, between the Big 12, the Pac-12, and the ACC. Um, some combination of that is going to have to like be kind of a third pole to this um, Big 10 SEC conglomerate because I don't see them really it doesn't sound like there's much interest in either of those going to 24 and you can easily see why uh, the LA market actually added revenue for the Big Ten but there aren't too many markets that are going to add revenue for either league um, so yeah. why why continue to expand just to diminish your payouts per school Notre Dame will expand Notre Dame's it but Notre Dame by itself, it gets you like gets the Big Ten to seventeen. I don't think they're going to want to be at an odd number. And right. also, I don't know how interested they are in actually doing it. They might have to in the yeah. long in the grand scheme of things, but I don't know if that's happening in the next year. And there's that pesky little <laughs> clause in their contract with uh, the ACC that yeah. if they joined a football conference any time between uh, now and 2036, it's got to be the ACC. So I think the Pac-10 is actually in 
not as dire a shape as you as I thought like two weeks ago. So the payouts as they are actually make them a little bit more flexible, I think, because so right now um, we're going to publish that later. But uh, somebody did the the projected conference payouts for each of the different leagues. His, his name is Jeffrey Fuller. Jeffrey Fuller. He's just a he's a father of ten. He's adopted four kids. He's a doctor. He's a a, a surgeon. Uh, in Alabama, he did these excellent. He did this excellent spreadsheet based on uh, the reporting of Wilner Canzano. Canzano, yeah. Um, on if the leagues stayed, conferences stayed as they are, with no further realignment, what the payouts would be per school till 2029. So there you go. Yeah. So the Pac-12 uh, or Pac-10, uh, whatever you want to call it, I think they have some flexibility because those payouts are absurdly low, meaning you don't actually have to go too far to try to expand that. Like, I think adding San Diego State is probably going to be almost a plus endeavor. And even if it's not, you could probably convince San Diego State to come in at a short share because they're certainly not getting that amount of money from the Mountain West deal right now. See, that's what's also flexible, too. Uh, that's the thing. You Let's say in 2026, he projects the Pac-12 minus UCLA and USC to make $38 million, right? So yeah. times uh, divided by 10, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I'm sorry. $38 million per school. $38 million per school. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Times 10, $380 million. Right. San Diego State, now you divide it by 11. You're at... $34 million. Does San Diego State make it bring $4 million more per school per year? Per school per year. And it, So it, $40 million more. And it might not, uh, it but might not. could you convince San Diego State to come in at $10 million for the first five years of that deal? Because if you can yeah. convince them of that, then you're probably netting out better for the other schools. And San Diego State is getting a bump up because they're almost certainly, I don't think, making that from the Mountain West right now. That's why I think there's been no movement at all because the people are looking at this, you know, as you say, smarter people than you and I. And they're going, eh, just there isn't a clear move here yeah. right now. Yeah. No, and the, the question, I think, for the Pac-10 is – how big they want to get into um, other leagues. Because from what I gathered, I think it was a Wilner tweet, SMU, for one, would be very interested in a move to the Pac-12. Um, and that would bring a market. You know, It brings Dallas. It Fort brings Worth. Dallas. So they might be worth it. You know, you might, so like you could stretch and say SMU is worth it and San Diego State is worth it, but are you really just bringing SMU? Also, are you in a position to do this right now? Um, you know, you got to make sure all of your league is secure. But I guess uh, it's it's too hard to predict the exact way this is going to shake out. But I don't think anything's going to happen right now. It doesn't sound like there's any desire. It doesn't sound like there's any imminent desire for Notre Dame to say, hey, we're doing this. Um, and if they're not going to do it, it sounds like everyone else is in a holding pattern. Yeah, Dallas is fifth media market. Yeah. So... That's why SMU makes makes a lot of sense. But as you said, you have to bring. Uh, even if Notre Dame comes, they're bringing a partner. So if you also have SMU, to change. You have to change a little bit of how the the current league functions. I mean, SMU. I don't think it's a, a super religious affiliated uh, school anymore, but it's yeah. right there in the name. 
Southern Methodist University. I mean, there was a long, long, long talk that the Pac-12 was never going to consider BYU because of its religious affiliation. Um, yeah. So yeah. that's always something to consider. It's not quite uh, – it's not an R1. Um, I don't know if it's AAU. might be. Um, but it's it's not an R1 uh, research university, so that's another hit. If you're going by the old standards of the Pac-12. Um, yeah. Now, that might not be the case anymore because two of the R1s and AAU members just departed. And from what I've learned, uh, going uh, being in a conference with like-minded schools, I don't think all of us sports fans are waiting that enough. That is a huge consideration. Like, top three or four, actually. And that's why UCLA liked the Big Ten. There are a lot of you know, pretty elite, uh, academic schools in the, in the big 10. Um, and you would probably say relatively liberal universities too, in the, maybe not in liberal states, but liberal universities. So yeah. I, I think they felt like minded. Well, will the PAC 12 think of that about SMU? Yeah. And that's the question. I, I, I have my doubts, but also they might be in a position now where they can't be quite as, um, discerning uh quite as high-minded quite as i don't know what you would call it but quite as uh, particular about um who they select because it might it's a survival play at this point um how, how much do you think notre dame brings to any conference payout pie that's a that's an interesting question because i don't know if it's going to uh eclipse the whatever uh 200 combined million that they're expecting from usc and ucla there's like, no one on the board like that, right? Yeah, now. I don't think there are a hundred million. I don't know. I, 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 honestly, I get it from like a cachet standpoint and uh, brand. Maybe there's brand value, but um, actual monetary value, like the money coming in and how it splits. I mean, I, I doubt. So here's what I'll say: I doubt any Big Ten school would take that much of a per school hit, but I don't think it's a big gain um, to get Notre Dame. I think for the ACC. Notre Dame's addition would massively shore up that conference. Like if they could get them in as a permanent member into the ACC, that would be huge. And it might be even enough to try to tear up the current rights deal and do a new one. Um, but I don't know how realistic that is. So Notre Dame makes $15 million a year with its uh, exclusive deal with NBC Sports. And it expires in 2025. Yeah. So I don't see how you would be getting from that enough money to make it worth it to uh yeah notre dame's really interesting the other really really highly interesting one to me is also stanford um we've heard we've heard things that notre dame if they were coming they'd want to pair with stanford i could see them thinking that uh stanford's value they're in they're in a they're in a big market uh the sixth market uh, media market overall. But the question is, and this is data that none of us people have, how much of that media market does Stanford actually carry? Like, yeah, it's a big media market and there are this many households with television sets, but how many, you know, you need that granular stat of how much it draws Stanford fans to turn on their TV sets. Right. Um, so, and then Stanford, of course, is a completely different mindset. I have been assured by Stanford sources that they, if it comes down to it the way it's going, they will not, they will absolutely resist and reject 
employing their their student athletes. If it's going that like NIL, they are not embracing it. It is not happening at Stanford. Um, if if that's the way college sports is going, they will they are more likely even to join the Ivy League than they would anything else. Let's say there's another all academic league out there that's put together like Vanderbilt or that Vanderbilt's in it or Rice or the Air Force. That could be a possibility, but that's that's down the road. So Stanford is another unique and, and I've seen I've seen it written that people think Stanford's like uh, would be a good get for a conference. I don't personally see it beyond the prestige. Well, this is where I think uh, people are getting a little bit, um, I don't know, rope-a-doped. Uh, I don't even know if rope-a-dope's that word. I think they just keep prioritizing the wrong things. Like, what I've found in college football media, reading a lot of the tweets and stuff, is everyone's flummoxed that Oregon isn't coveted. And it's just, have you not been following what's been going on for the last, like, decade? It has nothing, like, very little except for tangential relation to what you're doing on the field. Like it is so much about the media market, the media draw, how many eyeballs, all that kind of crap. Um, your brand value. Um, but Oregon, it's, it's a, I mean, as far as, um, you know, longevity goes, it's still a flash in the pan. It's basically, I don't know, 15 years of pretty good football. They don't have a national championship. Got a couple of, you know, a BCS appearance and a playoff appearance, but otherwise, just a, a regional power. Um, why would that be coveted unless they are bringing in a ton of eyeballs, a ton of money? Um, Definitely and, sticks in the beak of the ducks when Washington. But that's the thing is Washington. <laughs> and this is I've been saying this for uh, like a year on the POC. But Washington always made sense more as a coveted brand than Oregon. It's in Seattle versus I mean, even if you say Oregon is in Portland, which it isn't. It's Portland's much smaller than Seattle. Seattle's a much more major media market. Seattle's fourteen, Portland's twenty-five. Right, and you can't. And it's not even ranking. You, you got to go by the numbers too, because right. it drops off a cliff down around twenty twenty-five. Well, and yeah. the thing is, Washington, um, to a, to an extent, like UCLA, actually, because one thing that stands out is all the stuff that's just saying, "Oh, it's UCLA's media market that's doing it." It's like, yeah, that's a big part of it, but also. If you kind of zero out what other schools are bringing, UCLA is like top twenty-five in terms of eyeballs on a on on their games. Um, you know, it's it's there's still a lot of people who care, which is shocking. And I mean, and, that, and, and we thank you for it. But and a, uh, a lot of those numbers, Dave, were uh, that I've seen that put them at top twenty-five were based on the last five to six years. Well, that's the thing is when UCLA went through its worst time in football in its history in a hundred years. Yeah. I mean, we all have, I mean, obviously we all have mental illness, but um, that being said, Washington has a lot of that too, because you have a lot of guys and a lot of women uh, who watched those really good teams in the nineties who are still watching. Um, And it's, there's that tradition. Oregon has a bunch of fans who were created in the last 15 years. And that's great. And if they can maintain it for another 15, then they'll have the same situation. But it's just not – it's not apples to apples. There's so many factors that play into it. But Washington's longevity as a as a meaningful program plays a factor here too um, because you could expect those fans to continue. Um, but anyway um, – Yeah, that's really interesting. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's just so Oregon never really made sense. And then when you look at the other ones, it's just Notre Dame makes sense for the reason it makes sense, which is you're going to get eyeballs all over the country. Um, So that's that's I guess you're getting that. I just don't know if it adds money. Um, Stanford, I don't know what you're getting. Like I really don't. You're prestige. getting you're getting that prestige, but uh, what does that matter? I mean, I and, think the and only that market, league... but then that market has an asterisk next to it. Yeah, the 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 market is nothing. Um, Bay Area fans don't watch football, and those that do, um, I mean, frankly, most of them are watching Cal. They're watching PBS. Yeah, I mean, Cal has like some actual fans. Stanford, I, I am not convinced there are real fans. Well, I, it's just because they they don't graduate a lot of people every year. Yeah, <laughs> they just don't smaller, have a lot of alumni. Smaller it's, alumni base, and again, yeah. Stanford, much like Oregon, uh, had a period where it was like good in like what the '40s, and then is that a period where it's been good? Like not even right now, but like five years ago for about ten years, um, and then nothing. So there's no way to build a base. Cal has kind of the same issue. They had um, basically a five-year period of being good under Jeff Tedford and then nothing. Um, so well, well, let's stay on Pac-10 for literally two more minutes. Then I want to get back to our guy, Jeffrey Fuller, and, and those projections. But the more I think about it, if we're talking about pairings, I think ASU and Cal should pair. It makes more sense to me. Uh, as you said, Cal draws more. Probably it's pretty prestigious. So it's right there. Not right there, but close with Stanford. Probably draws more barrier eyeballs. ASU, Phoenix, decent decent market, number 12. Uh, there's always a, like you said, there ASU has a little bit of history of success in football. And I'm just saying this because I'd love ASU just to dump Arizona. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's the thing is that Arizona, I think Arizona is in a dire position um, if they get decoupled from ASU. Yeah. Um, but And the thing is, you have to start thinking nationally now. That's what I've been told a number of times with people who know. It's not geographic anymore. The Big Ten is thinking that they are a national conference. That that's how they're looking at it, uh, and I'm sure the SEC, yes, at least to a degree, some regionality, but then also nationally. Yeah, they've got to think that way if they're going to make it. Um, so let's let's talk about our guy Jeffrey Fuller, who did these projections. What we've had a lot of numbers thrown around, and he put it in a nice little spreadsheet for us, which made it nice and nice and fun. Um, really startling and stunning. If you if you think about this, uh, the Big Ten, if you add USC and UCLA, uh, starting in 2024, the payout should be, and this is based on what a lot of reporters, reliable reporting, and he's put it, in, put it into numbers, 76 million per school. Um, it incrementally goes up from 76 million to where it top, it, it hits 100 million at 2026. The Pac-10 without UCLA and USC, in 2024, will make $24 million. That will be their each team's payout. So there is a difference of, of about $52 million. If Let's just say, looking at his numbers, I mean, it gets all the way up to about the discrepancy of maybe $66 million. So between 52 and $66 million between 2024 and 2029. Um, so let's just say 
you know, we're talking $60 million over the course of six years. <laughs> That's stunning. $60 million over the course of that, that is absolutely this program, this athletic department takes it to a whole new level and the other ones just get left in the proverbial dust. Um, yeah, yeah I think that's significant. The, the the thing that like kind of makes me a little bit wistful um, is looking at those payouts and looking at what would have happened if the pack if USC and UCLA had stayed in the Pac-12, there would have been a discrepancy, but it would have been more on the order of I don't know twenty five or thirty million by the end of it, which you can make work. Um, you know what would the pack 12s have been probably something like the 60 million range and you probably can take off a comparative amount from the big 10 you know drop 20 million off them add 20 million to the pack 12s and that's where it gets like well was this necessary or was this the thing that caused it to be necessary like did did usc and ucla create the conditions by which this is justified um by exiting the pack 12 because the Pac-12 historically was always lower money-wise than the rest of the leagues, um, but it didn't become significant until the money got so huge. Um, but sixty, like let's say it was you know sixty million dollars per team by twenty twenty nine. That's a lot of damn money. Like yeah. that's that's way outpacing inflation. So what are you spending that money on? And that's yeah. and this is I mean it gets into a larger commentary about college football, but. It's just all it is is just continuing to bloat coaching salaries and, um, you know, adding more facilities that you don't really need. Um, it gets into diminishing returns pretty quickly um, up above a certain amount of money, whatever that is. And I don't know, you know, just going back to it, I, I don't know how, you know, absolutely critically necessary this was. And well, uh, think, we'll see what it ends up doing. I, I did some quick math and it might be wrong. But if you take, let's just say 200 million is what UCLA and USC is bringing to the Big Ten and what they took away from the Pac-12, right? Mm -hmm. By 2029, if you divide by 12 for the Pac-12, that would have boosted them from 41 million to 57 million, okay, right. per school. If you take away the 200 million, divide by 14, right, for the Big Ten, that would have reduced it to 95 million. So... Uh, that's it's yeah that's kind of significant still uh you know you're talking uh, what 38 million dollars um per year yeah that's still still a pretty big thing um, right but look at what the big 12 is you would have been right in line with the big 12 right in line with the acc and you would have been behind the sec and the big 10 well guess what the pac-12 has been behind the sec and the big 10 basically forever also, though, here's the thing that we're all kind of missing, and I've heard this from the sources, source. That whole thing that the Pac-12 was going to had a 500, you know, was valued at about a $500 million deal, that was soft as hell. I was hearing, yeah, that's what they're saying, but one of the main reasons UCLA and USC did this is because they didn't necessarily see that, seeing, they didn't see that happening. Right. It wasn't going, it wasn't solid. So... That's what we're basing all this on, and that might not have been the case. Yeah. Um, and then you can't even – this is based on what we know now. There's – and these numbers are also based on there's no more realignment. You and I know, maybe not now, 
everyone might stamp pat for a while, but it is going the way of at least two big super conferences and possibly a third. UCLA and USC were smart to jump on and, and, and do it now when they had leverage as opposed to when it's later and they don't necessarily have as much leverage as they might. Yeah, um, I think the thing that I take away from this entire thing is that the L.A. market was always going to be coveted. That's true. Um, that's and true. And so the, this is actually, and this is the point I, I made that caused a 250-thread response to the POC, but USC and UCLA, I think they sacrificed their leverage now um, by taking the payout. That leverage could have been used to carve out a better deal from the Pac-12 for those two schools. Um, yeah, what they would have needed to do, which they never had a history of doing, because the Pac-12 is is flex. Some people, is flex. Say, hey, we'll stay. You got to give us a hundred million dollars each. <laughs> You've got, or we're going to, we'll go talk to some people who might want to do this. And hey, Big Twelve. Hundred million each for UCLA and USC. Yeah. And and the funniest thing, I mean, nothing against Washington State and Oregon State, but shouldn't the Pac-12 go to them and say you've got to take a little bit of a reduced buyout? Yeah. You, you, if we're going to keep this going and you're going to keep even a decent slice, we got to keep the bigger market teams in our conference. If we don't hold on to them, you're you're going to be making nothing in you know some podunk conference. The fact that the Pac that was I mean there's so many things you could cite that the Pac-12 didn't do right, but that was one of the biggest things to not keeping UCLA and USC. They should have done that a, a long time ago. Yeah. Um. So. I, I'm still, I know you're, I'm hearing it in your voice. You're, you're a little, uh, not, you're, you're starting to, I wouldn't say buyer's remorse, but you're starting to feel a little, it's settling in and you're seeing a, a little bit more, uh, downside to it. Not even downside. Well, I'm not getting $76 million in 2024, Tracy. So <laughs> I can, uh, you know, UCLA, yeah, they solve a lot of their budget issues, but, um, you know, for uh, like the historical value of like watching the same teams play against each other forever, um, we're not going to have that anymore. You know, the analogy is all right. So UCLA is going to play Indiana a whole bunch. What, You're getting sentimental. Well, it's not even. I mean, it is sentimentality, which I think is actually a significant reason to do or not do things in something as silly as college football. But it's on top of that. Um, I don't know how interested people are going to remain. Like, I I think there's a lot of people who get invested in UCLA playing Cal every year because they friggin' hate Cal. And I think there's a lot of... So, UCLA fans, I think if you asked them... Uh, I don't hate Cal. Why no, do people no, hate Cal lot so of, much? A lot Why? of UCLA fans hate Cal. Um, because they feel big brothered by them. And it, it's, like, from a very specific era, but they feel like they constantly get big brothered. Um, but there's a lot of UCLA fans who hate Cal. They're not going to play Cal anymore. Like, it's going to be maybe once every 10 years. Um, it's not going to be often. Um, Stanford, you know, UCLA Stanford, those, those stirring, that stirring rivalry where they lost like eight straight games to Stanford. Well, we don't have to worry about that anymore because they're not going to play them. Do, um, do you think, Cal, you think UCLA fans hate, who, who do they hate more, Cal or Stanford? Uh, Cal. Cal. Yeah. 
It's hard to hate Stanford. It's sort of a for most of history, really for most of history, it was an inert object in football at least. Um, <laughs> but you're not going to have that anymore. You're not going to have uh, gosh the uh, the burgeoning uh, rivalry with Utah. You're not going to have any of the stuff with uh, Oregon and Washington anymore. Um, it's just you know all these things that are I, I think. They have some meaning, they have some value, but I think they actually have some hardcore, like, I'm not as interested in watching UCLA Rutgers as I was watching UCLA Oregon State. Um, because I've I've watched them play Oregon State a whole bunch. I've watched them do it, you know, time and time again. I know what Reezer Stadium looks like. Like, all that stuff where it's like, yeah, there'll be some novelty, I think, initially with playing Rutgers or playing Maryland in football. Um, but it's it's going to wear off because there hmm. isn't like, look at how, um, look so how you the, lo- you, you had me, you had me until you said Utah. I, I, I see nothing with Utah. I, I would, I'd Th- rather go Utah play yeah. UCLA ASU. I had to swear off traveling to the state of Arizona because every goddamn time I went to Tempe or Phoenix, they lost or sorry uh, to Tempe or Tucson. They lost. Um, and it was always in this like ignominious fashion in the early two thousands. Um, and, uh, okay, well, don't have to worry about that anymore because they're not going to play them. Um, and instead, you're going to have to build something from scratch with Wisconsin. Uh, I guess there is something with Wisconsin. D- Dave, between the two of us, I mean, you're, you've kind of got a little bit of the boomer going on here. It's not boomer. No, no. <laughs> I mean, maybe it is. Um, but it, it, it's sentimentality um, yeah. because that's a big part of it. But that's also a big part of why people watch college football. That's why people watch college sports. It's not because... This is a I, this is a stirring and great product. It's not because of its like actual like oh god, this is the best football can be. It's because it's tied to your school. It's tied to your history, right. your and personal I gener- history. I generally agree, and this is how I look at it. USC rivalry intact. Cal Stanford non-conference. It's been reduced the the importance of those games recently are about non-conference level anyway. I mean, the only reason you care about those games anymore is because of the little rivalry, okay, non-conference will get that taken care of. I don't, ASU, Arizona, I'm going to piss off some people. I feel, I would so much rather, right now in my life, go to Madison, Wisconsin, in the dead of November, than Tempe or Tucson at any time of year. It's not even a question for me. And for me, it's mostly about that experience, too. I, I have no sentimentality towards Arizona or Arizona State. Don't, don't care. Same, I like Colorado. You know what? I, I, you're talking about stupid sentimentality. I like their colors. I, I, I like Ralphie. So I, I got a little soft spot, but I, it doesn't, doesn't mean anything more to me. I'd rather go watch UCLA play Indiana at, you know, in uh, Bloomington. Uh, that seems like just something. So to me, all of that kind of equals out all those other ones. And we've got Essie intact. They'll play. They'll. I. I. I would be completely blown away, surprised if they don't play Cal and Stanford non-conference. So to me, there's enough intact that it all cancels it out to where They're not the play, benefits. They are 100% not playing them in non-conference every year. No, not every year, and that's fine. I, I don't want to, Dave. You gotta admit, aren't you tired of playing Cal and Stanford every year? 
Well, now that Stanford's oh now that Stanford's enough of them. now that Stanford's bad, I would like to see UCLA continue <laughs> to play them and uh, rack up a little bit of a win streak or ever. I've got some Kevin Hogan related trauma to get over, and the best way to do that is immersion. Um, there's a so I I uh, I don't know. I, I'm just looking at the way Nebraska's transitioned to the Big Ten, the way. God, Missouri transitioned to the SEC the way Arkansas transitioned to the SEC so long ago, and they lost a lot in the transfer. They lost a lot of what made that university tick in the transfer. And not that UCLA has a stirring recent history of college football success, but when you're constantly playing against the same teams that you've been playing against for 60 years, it's easier to remember, uh, you know, oh, yeah. Stanford is the reason uh, Red Sanders got, uh, you know, screwed over and couldn't win a national championship in like 1956 or whatever. You know, you can you have that kind of shared history of uh, cantankerous rivalry that allows you to remember back to when UCLA yeah. was actually good at football. Yeah, um, right now at this point, I would rather go, even if UCLA got pretty beat up, I'd rather go experience a game at Michigan than go to Utah seven times. <laughs> I mean, it's not even it's not even close. I, think I mean, the, when you, I, yeah, and I think there, and that, that's what I said. I think there's novelty originally. Um, I think oh, there will uh, be novelty yeah. of a lot of these uh, road games. I just think the the novelty of traveling to Ann Arbor in October is going to wear off really quick. Um, that's going to take a while for it to wear off. And I'm telling you, if there was ever novelty of going to Salt Lake City. It's worn off, and I don't. And I'm telling you, there was a novel. It there was no novelty. <laughs> Salt Lake City is so, actually pretty. It's so, getting better, and you know what? The city's pit. getting the city's getting better. It's getting more fun. There are more bars, but yeah. Um, You've got mountains. Are there any mountains in Ann Arbor, or is it just like frozen I, lake? <laughs> you are barren so midwestern. Hard. Let's just wasteland. talk about the experience of the football game. Well, we've got Oregon, another <laughs> Oregon State or Camp Randall in Wisconsin. Oh yeah. my god. All okay, right. wait. We've so got we've on. got we've got a lot to talk about. And we have twenty minutes to do so. so yeah. Let's, so let's, let's I want to move on. Uh, one of the things that are top of my list to talk about is what's key for this, and this this could be a, a broadcast on its own. And I'm going to write a story when I really get my thoughts straight. UCLA needs to mount some pretty good football seasons in the next two years to launch it into the Big Ten. I, I'm pretty certain. I'd be I'd be really shocked if they didn't win ten games. I'm going to say ten games this year, and then twenty, and then parlay that into some transfers and a transfer quarterback, whatever. I don't know the specifics for the 2023 season, but they need, I'd say, minimum two nine-win seasons in 2022 and 2023 to launch it into that to get some recruiting momentum, because damn, an eight-win season hasn't given it a lot of legs here. Um, it's almost like you need to, you know, I know what you're going to say and I haven't to, gone there. You need to actually, uh, uh, do the recruiting part. Yeah. I thought you were even going to take a step further. You actually need to go get a coach who. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that, that goes without saying, cause I mean, we've got four years of data now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I want to make that point. That's, that is key to all this here. Um, and Right now, uh, there are different elements of that that's going to get UCLA poised to be able to compete in the Big Ten. I think it's two successful seasons, and I think it's recruiting at a very high level. I think there's a chance for two successful seasons, at least one. The recruiting at the high level, 
I mean, if we're talking what we've seen now and since May when they were doing pretty well uh, with official visits and things, and and now it's fallen off a cliff. I mean, one in eleven Arizona is out recruiting UCLA football right now. Two years in a row. It's I. I don't know how anyone administratively is looking at UCLA football and and not seeing red flags at this point when it comes to football recruiting. Uh, and really, the thing that just sent it over is offensive line recruiting. Just just phenomenal how poorly UCLA is doing right now. So I have a theory about this, and I think it comes back to how hard it is to extrapolate from the transfer portal and how hard it is to project and how hard it is to... Um truly great it because I think everyone who's involved in college football now more or less understands high school recruiting rankings. Like they more or less understand the value of it. They more or less understand how it correlates to production. They more or less understand it. I think not too many people are understanding the transfer portal. Either they're waiting it too much or they're waiting it too little or whatever it is. But I think it makes it a harder administrative task when uh, a coach who should be graded on his recruiting is so heavily reliant on the transfer portal because there's, I'm sure, an element of, well, we have to see what this looks like. We have to see what these guys do on the field before we can truly grade it. Um, and I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong, but I think it makes it harder for them to grade real time when they're looking at five commitments in this class right now, um, whiffing on all these high school guys, because I'm sure the message that's being sent is, well, we're going to get all of this in the transfer portal. And because it's such still a relatively new thing, you can't necessarily call BS on that. Not yeah. initially. Um, and yeah. I think it makes it very difficult for administrators. Yeah, but still. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I agree with everything you said, but still. Yeah. This is, this. I mean, right now, the thing, we talked about this two weeks ago, and I'm sure you probably talked about it with Brandon, with the recruiting podcast last week. The offensive line recruiting yeah, they're missing a bunch of guys, and we even gave up the numbers. I don't have in front of me how much they've struck out. Raymond Polito. Yeah, uh, UCLA was clearly leading for this guy. This was the one guy they had leading. He now says he's changing his commitment plans, which I can pretty closely, safely say that he was going to commit to UCLA, and he's taking his final official visits. And, and that includes Alabama. Now... You got a UCLA fans hope that Alabama, you know, Alabama offers a lot of guys, but they're not necessarily committable offers. You got to hope that's one that isn't committable. Oregon, <laughs> good recruiting program. And then that one in 11 Arizona that's out recruiting UCLA. So, yeah, I, I mean, I you'd have to look at this as a really bad turn in his recruitment for UCLA among some really bad turns in other offensive line rec recruitments. Um, and I would say if we go back to projecting UCLA into the Big Ten and what it would need, yeah, offensive line and defensive line, that's going to be the key. I, I think UCLA will be able to get skilled players, uh, even with its present recruiting uh, efforts. I, I think it will be able to. Uh, co uh, competitive skill players, but not competitive linemen. This right now, we all have uh, UCLA is going to go play in the Big Ten in two years. It's got to be all about offensive line and defensive line recruiting. That's what it has to be about. And right, it's amazingly um, 
apropos right now that at that exact moment when that is crystallized as a real objective for UCLA football recruiting, that it is tanking in offensive line recruiting right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's not good. You, you want to talk about basketball recruiting? Yeah, let's do that. Can we do that? Yeah. Yeah. Let's um, talk about basketball recruiting. So basketball's gone uh, international. Yes. Um, they've gone around the world. We've been telling you, and we were the only place that said this, that uh, UCLA was going global in its recruitment with its uh, hiring of uh, a coach, Emo Simovich. Uh, he has international ties for the last 20 years. Uh, I had intimated that they were recruiting not only 2023 guys, but they would could add a 2022 player. Um, didn't generally, you know, I was trying to protect UCLA's recruiting. Didn't want to release that name. Kind of got out yesterday. Uh, go ahead, Dave. Uh, Abramo, Abramo Sanka. Sanka. Abramo Sanka. Abramo Sanka. Abramo Sanka. Six, six seven wing. Uh, I've only, obviously, I have not been to Europe recently to scout him. Um, six, seven. On film, looks like a long athlete, uh, can a good slasher type. Um, everyone on the forum is arguing about his shooting stats. I mean, uh, I'm not going to go by stats. I, he didn't shoot at a, a really great clip, but the shot looks like I wrote. It looks clean. It looks like a real stroke. Uh, definitely someone who would be able to contribute. And now what you all want to know, Will he get admitted? Uh, it's always dicey when it comes to international players, especially when there's kind of a gray area in in Europe of whether you're a professional player or not. Um, they don't tend to care uh, if you yeah, want to maintain it's a, it's your. It's a sensible place out there in uh, yeah. in Europe. <laughs> if if you want to then play college basketball, it's a different story. Um, from what I've been told, and it's always been dicey, from what I've been told now with technology and so many things that are actually recorded digitally, it's a lot easier now. Um, from what I've heard, Sanka does want to come to UCLA and we'll find out if he can get through probably in the next two to three weeks, I'd say, is probably where that stands. So uh, all in all, a, a good development for uh this season, it will give them possibly another guy, and we'll just easily say it, off the bench. Yeah. Yeah, and he would um, – he fills kind of the same – you know, it was what we were talking about. And I, ideally, you would want some more immediate shooting, but it gives him a guy who can fill in on the wing because you lost Jules Bernard unexpectedly. So yeah. you've got a guy who can come in and play that role. Even if he's not going to provide the shooting, at least, you know, it's a, it's a talented body who can play some minutes. 2023 recruiting, uh, uh, you could say it's heating up. We, we went through the first evaluation period in July. We have one more left. Uh, uh, it looks good for, uh, uh, for Andre Stoyakovic. Um, I'd say he's the one you could, you could say is most likely a Bruin at this point. Uh, Milan Momsolovich will will probably be a Iowa State. I'm kind of shorthanding this, not getting into all the reasons why. Uh, but there's still enough out there. Uh, Jamie Kaiser will take an unofficial visit. 
while he's out here for an Adidas tournament, uh, the 20th through the 24th of July. I think they have a legit chance for that. Uh, Maryland, Indiana, Indiana, where he will officially visit the last week of July at Indiana, thinks they have a good chance also. But um, oh, Brandon Williams will take an official visit that first week of August. Uh, he's a guy who plays it kind of close to the vest, but I've heard there's a good feeling with UCLA with him. Uh, they offered a, a TJ Power. They might offer a few more guard wings who will remain nameless at this point. Um, I'd say the big, the two big, the two big things right now will be Isaiah Collier, the point guard, and um, the post player um, Miranda. Those two guys, which the two Isaiahs, where they decide to go, and I think UCLA's right in it with both of them could go anyway at this point, um, but looking good for them. I would say it's between UCLA and USC for Isaiah Miranda and probably for Devin Williams, the other post player, uh, local post player from Corona Centennial. I, I would think that whichever one gets Miranda, the other will probably get Williams. Um, so th there's probably a post player in UCLA's future there. Um, Ron Holland, I'm just still feeling Still feeling that he's not going to be a Bruin eventually. Um, and then you've got other wings, Cody Williams. Cody Williams, I think UCLA has a really good chance to get. If they sign uh, four, let's say four high school guys and then have a chance to, uh, for some international players along with some transfers by next offseason, I think they'll be... I think they'll be looking pretty good. I'm looking at the 2023 class as that class, hopefully where you can get some four to five year guys that are, you need to rebuild those guys because you're losing a lot of them from the roster now and next year. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. So hopefully starting to get some commitments here pretty soon. Hopefully. I would say, uh, Suryakovich, I'd be stunned if he goes too much longer after August. Um, if he decides he's really holding out till November, that, that ain't good. I mean, he still could end up at UCLA. I think UCLA would be kind of pissed. But um, but I I think I think he'll probably want to pull the trigger. There's enough, his family, enough people around him, I think, that, that want him to make a decision fairly soon. Um, so I, I think that will start from there. And, and I think the, uh, there's a chance for this. And they'll get one of those bigs uh, and then fill out with a couple of more, a couple of more wings. Um, and then we'll see what happens with Isaiah Collier. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So there we are. Exciting times. Exciting times, Dave. All right. Well, you got anything else? No, I think I'm happy. I think I'm stoked. Yes. Um, all right. Well, for Tracy Pearson. I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, and we will talk to you again next time. See y'all.